It's the best of Parent Q Live. Hey there, Parent Q. Welcome back to another episode of Parent Q Live. My name is Chris Pachiba, and I am one of the producers here at Parent Q. And if you've been listening for the past month, you know that we have been doing the best of Parent Q Live. And I hope for the past month you've enjoyed going back in time with me as we listen to Kristen and Carlos interview some amazing guests and give some amazing content. Now you're probably saying, Chris, 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 it is August. Where is Kristen? Where is Carlos? I miss them. I miss them so much. Well, never fear, friends, because next week, August 16th, Kristen and Carlos will be back in the studio and you'll have a brand new Parent Q Live next Thursday. You're not going to want to miss it. We actually sat down and talked about big plans and big surprises that are coming your way straight to your ears and maybe straight to where you're at. Well, no, we'll, we'll, uh, I mean, who, who knows? We'll, we'll see what's happening, but, uh, you want to make sure that you tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode of Parent Q Live with Kristen Ivey and Carlos Whitaker. So you may be saying, okay, Chris, well, I'm here now. What is this episode about? Well, I'm so glad you asked because today's best episode is making the most of your family rhythm. You know, Reggie Joyner, the founder and CEO of Orange, actually sits down with Kristen and author Sarah Anderson, and they talk about how parents can use the natural rhythms of their days to connect with their kids and help grow their faith. You know, it may not seem like it, but your family has a rhythm. And I know there are moments of chaos and missed appointments and unmet expectations, but there are certain times throughout the day where there is a natural expected flow to the way things happen in your family, especially around mealtimes, car rides, and nighttime routines. So sit back and relax as Reggie, Kristen, and Sarah explore and explain the natural rhythms when it comes to your family time. I hope you enjoy this episode. Parent Q Live is a podcast that we really enjoy bringing to you as a parent. Today's podcast features Sarah Anderson, who is a curriculum writer, author, mother of two boys. Her and her husband, Rodney, have recently released a book called The Wired Devotional for Teenagers. And it's an incredible resource for kids to grow in their faith. And we hope that today's podcast, which is going to center around the idea of creating a rhythm in your home and your time, will be something that you find valuable. And if you enjoy today's podcast, we want to make sure that you, you subscribe and you rate it and continue to join us in future podcasts. So welcome to Parent Q Live. I'm sitting here today with Sarah Anderson and Kristen Ivey, and it's going to be fun to talk about this topic. I've known the two of them for over a decade since they were in college and since those days they have gotten married and now they have children and so it's going to be interesting to hear a little bit about what they've learned in parenting over the last few years how does that sound guys i know a whole lot less about parenting than i did when you met me Ah, there you go well and today we're going to be talking about the idea of um, in the home, within the home, within the schedule of the home, creating a rhythm. That's an interesting phrase, create a rhythm. What, what do we mean by that? I think that phrase to me can be a little intimidating because I think, I don't know how to create a rhythm in my home. I'm already creating lunches and creating a transportation schedule and 
times for my mm-hmm. kids to play with other friends. And a lot of the time it just feels like a lot of chaos. But I actually enjoy thinking about this idea because it reminds me that there actually is a rhythm when I mm-hmm. stop and think about it. There actually are moments throughout the week that are repeated on a consistent basis. We actually always get up out of our bed every morning. You know, I mean, there are a few consistencies in the middle of all the chaos. So there are patterns. There are patterns that exist in every week. And we're talking about understanding how those patterns work so we can engage them or leverage them in an effective way uh, for the sake of our family time and teaching our children something specific. Is that right? Yep. Isn't this kind of what, what Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy 6 when Moses, you know, said that famous speech to the nation of Israel, you know, when he was talking about passing faith to your children, and he said, you need to make sure you talk about these things if you want to really impress them on your children's hearts. You got to talk about these things when you lie down, when you walk along the way, and when you get up in the morning. I mean, there are these, these times specifically built into our culture that we can take advantage of, and Moses seemed to understand that. Right. I think the thing I love about that is that sometimes the most critical issues of our parenting are never the urgent ones. Um, And I'm consumed all the time with signing permission slips and doing the things that are urgent and pressing in my world. And I most of the time feel behind on those things. And so to stop and really think about, you know, passing on a faith legacy to my children, it's like, I'm going to think about that after they're in bed at night. It's Um, good. So how do I, yeah, how do I jump in and, and do that? in the day-to-day moments. And I think on top of that, we tend to feel a sense of pressure about we have to have it all together as parents and our faith and our spirituality before we even begin to pass that along to our children. And so I think one of the things that this passage seems to reinforce to me is that I can be learning this along with my children. And one of the gifts that I can give them is a really honest and transparent relationship with Jesus. And if they see that in me, then they're willing to embark on this journey themselves. Yeah, that's great. I like the idea of even like, I meet parents all the time that are thinking, you know, before we really read the Bible stories together, I probably need to read the Bible right. myself, you <laughs> right. know? And right. so, but if you wait until you read cover to cover and analyze it and make sure you understand the whole thing, you might never get around to reading a couple right. of stories together. Right. And I think ultimately it creates a sense of we're under this ultimate authority of God together. Like I'm not going to have this all figured out. And when we, when we talk about it as a, as a journey together, we stop treating faith as a destination mm-hmm. and something that we can travel and, and, and I love the fact that you said, you know, we don't always have it together. We got to figure it out because I know both of you and I know your husbands, I know Matt and Rodney, and I know they've got it together a lot more than two of you do. <laughs> and, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what is that, what does that look like for the average parent? Because I think in most relationships, it seems like one spouse usually is a little bit more structured and organized mm-hmm. than the other. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to get both people to play. In some cases, if you're an intermarried couple, if you're a single parent, you're still trying to figure out, am I wired to be structured? And how structured is this? And does that make this hard if you're not structured? Yeah, I'm very unstructured sometimes. Um, and so I, all of my, like the rhythm doesn't always look the same. I like to kind of improv and take seize the moment as it comes up. But I still think that thinking through the rhythm of our week helps me be a little bit more intentional. I at least spot those times like, hey, we have a bedtime opportunity. Um, and maybe I'm not intentional with every single one, but I'm aware that it's there and I'm more likely to take advantage of it. Right. And I think that whether you're structured or not, like you said, Kristen, these are times that are happening every day. Somebody's going to eat every right. day. Someone's going to go to bed every right. day. And so whether you are have a plan for each of those times, you know they're going to happen and you can speak into them every time. And, and can I make a point here? And this, this might just be my opinion and I could be wrong and you guys are much more um, educationally wired than me. But when I think about the four times that Mos- Moses listed in Deuteronomy, 
it was partly because these are the routine times that are going to happen, but I also think there was this emotional thing around each one of the times he listed that makes them unique and distinctive. For example, there's an emotional culture around mealtime. Mm-hmm. When you talk about sitting down together and eating a meal, there is a culture around that, that that drives certain kinds of conversations, certain kinds of emotions. There's an emotional a culture around the idea of bedtime. When you're trying to get a kid to go to bed in the early years and they're wanting to read another story because it's a stall technique. and mm-hmm. Now but, they're but, hungry for the dinner they didn't eat. Right, <laughs> right. right. And, and even, even the idea of walking along the way, the casualness mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. us just doing life together and it's not confrontational. So, so I, what I don't want us to miss in the routine is that attached to each one of these times, there's this emotional potential that we can tap into and leverage to capture a kid in this moment with their imagination. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And those times also change. I mean, as a kid's growing up, I know um, some things stay the same and then it kind of changes. I have three kids and two of mine are, well, I have a baby now and um, a preschooler. The other one's already moved on to elementary, even though I forget it sometimes. (laughs) But, um, But in the preschool years, we have you know, just the ritual of how we greet each other in the morning. Mm-hmm. And the words I use right now with them are probably not going to be the same that I'll use when they're middle school and high school, but it's just to greet them with a smile and try to set the emotional tone mm-hmm. early on before the emotions <laughs> change really rapidly. Um, but morning time is just a way to set the emotion of the day. Then we have um, our drive time with preschool, which is a great time to listen to some music uh, together that we can enjoy, have silly conversations and connect. Now, you said a couple of things there that I'm going to push at, because if I'm listening and I'm a parent, I'm going, okay, you said something about the words you say in the morning, then you said something about the music you play. I mean, as a parent, I would love to have a script. I would love to have a playlist. I would love to have some specific things that help me know what to do. Because I think, and I could be wrong, but having those predecided helps sure. me maximize the times, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think just knowing, hey, this is a phrase that we're always going to say in the morning, mm-hmm. that's something positive and upbeat and cheerful or kind of sets the mood, the cadence for the day. Um, at bath time, in preschool years, you still kind of have that special bath time, playtime together. Um, how can you play and connect? And by know? the way, you, you don't get to do bath time with teenagers, so that kind of goes away. It kind of gets <laughs> kind of weird and strange. So I'm just saying, ultimately, some of these things are going to change. Yeah, I mean, in the preschool years, you have cuddle time. You don't do that in middle school either, So <laughs> Nope. <laughs> um, but those moments are just times when you can say, you know, even if it's having an idea for the month that you want to connect with your kid on those moments, what are the positive and encouraging words that you can share how can you talk about faith and build that into the preschool rhythm? And, and because that age kids are concrete thinkers, I think kids during that age kind of get into a rhythm mm-hmm. and they expect things. They expect you to read a book to them now after you've done it for so many <laughs> weeks. or they expect you to do a certain routine at bath time, right? That's right. I mean, in the preschool years, you're probably more in a rhythm than any other time because you really do have to schedule your time around their world and their needs are changing about every five or 10 minutes. And you have complete control. You get to set the rhythm for your family and you're not at the mercy of school schedules or anything else. It's just you. And then you're, things... you're at mostly control. <laughs> if you have a three-year-old, there are moments when you may, 
may feel a little out of control. And then as we shift to elementary, how does that how does that play out? Yeah, well, we have our oldest uh, just finished up kindergarten. And so I feel like we've started to see this rhythm play out in a different way in our family. And I've heard you talk about these times since before we had kids. But I feel like when we hit elementary school, they took on a whole new meeting for our family. And um, the morning time looks a little bit different. So we decided for our family that we wanted to have a sort of mantra that we set out, set the kids out the door with. So every morning we tell them three things, be kind, be brave, be wise. And there's probably 10 or 15 minutes worth of things that I could tell them as they walk out the door, but everything's going to fall under these three. And so that's kind of a routine that we set for our boys, that these are the things I want them to try to tackle. And it works because Cinderella's mother told her the same thing. (laughs) So I'm just saying, I I feel like that that, that's a proven, proven thing. That's right. I mean, I think it's Yeah, Hensley actually tells me that the stepmother taught her daughters to be mean and be scared. That's great. That's good. But having a phrase, again, mm-hmm. that you've pre-decided becomes a part of your tradition, right. a part of the culture of your home. Right. And then I don't think I'd realized how much I would count on the drive time with our kids. Um, you know, you're, they're out of your hands for eight hours, which in some ways is very freeing, but in other ways, you have a total loss of control. And as soon as they get in the car, you want to bombard them with questions. And so I felt like I started to see the value in this time of becoming a really good question asker of my boys and asking things that weren't the these huge questions like, how is your day today? Because they always just say fine, or what did you do? And I can't remember. And it's these huge questions, but I remember reading- We would call those close-ended questions. Right. right. And I remember reading that the smaller the question you ask, the bigger the answer. So I started to learn how to ask more pointed questions. What was the funniest thing that happened to you today? What was the most surprising thing? And then becoming a really good listener, that the most important question is the follow-up and listening to how they answer that first one and then going from there. And I got more insight into my boys asking those kinds of questions in just that few minutes, between the school and home than if I just, you know, just tried to probe them for more information. I'm having to learn with my kids have such different personalities. Mm -hmm. My oldest also just is in the elementary now and he is not a talker at Mm -hmm. all. And so there's days when I can ask even a pointed question and I get just absolutely nothing. And then there's other days when all of a sudden it's like the floodgates open. Right. And so I'm trying to be better at going, okay, not push too hard right. on the days that he's just not going to go there and then, you know, create the space for the moment when it's going to I don't happen. know if this is a boy-girl thing or an age thing, but sometimes I find with my oldest, if we are doing something else yep. for building Legos together, he's focused on the Legos. He's not necessarily feeling like he's being interrogated. Yeah. And we can ask more. <laughs> well, that's, that's very true. And as a matter of fact, as we shift to talking about middle school and high school, it becomes even more significant. What you're describing is the difference in non-confrontational discussion and confrontational discussion. If you take any child and you position them in front of you and say, let me ask you a question, there's this confrontational thing that kicks in and they think they're being interrogated. I think the best conversations happen naturally and organically. And I've even heard counselors talk about how throwing a baseball, riding down the road when you're not facing each other are amazing times. Because you can deal with some of the most difficult issues in the non-confrontational moments. Avoid eye contact. Yeah, mm-hmm. avoid eye contact. Yeah. It seems, you know, my dad used to say, look me in the eye. Right. Like, we're basically saying don't look them in right. the eye <laughs> so <laughs> they don't feel intimidated yeah. or threatened, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. And then I think for us, uh, the meal time has become more precious and bedtime has become a great time to talk about more faith-based things, the addressing the fears that they've got going on and, and the questions they have. And even though I'm ready to be checked out at that point, I feel like I'm being held hostage by their questions. It's actually a great opportunity to speak into the, the stuff that they've got going on. Well, I think it's interesting that when Moses said this, you know, thousands of years ago to a culture of people, 
you know, he was really explaining to them a way to um, impact and impress certain truths and certain concepts in somebody's life or a child's life as they grow up. And, and I think the principle is the principle. Mm-hmm. Whether you're talking about faith, an emotional issue, just a life, you know, concept or idea, mm-hmm. a relational thing. I mean, it really comes back to how are we going to organize our week so that we capture these opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's just being ready for it when it happens to you, I think. It's good. I constantly get surprised by the questions that my kids ask when they ask them. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's related to faith or other big issues, it's like, when they question it, when they want to know, it hits them and it's in the moment. And I never really have the script prepared in right. advance. I don't really see it coming. Um, but just thinking through these times and when the conversations might happen helps me mm-hmm. be and, ready. And I, and I think understanding, if we jump back into this kind of last phase of middle school and high school, I think understanding what is changing culturally that causes us to rearrange how we interact is important because... You know, when you think about the middle school years, you've got a window that's shortening on how much drive time you're going to have left. Right. I I even say to parents all the time, I would make sure if you had to go to work late once or twice a week, make sure you drive your middle schooler to school or pick them up from school, leave early and pick them up. Because I feel like you've got a couple of years and then all of a sudden they're getting that piece of plastic and then everything changes. Mm-hmm. And I forget the stat on how much time you have with a kid once they get their license, but it just dramatically decreases. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're constantly rearranging. And I remember mealtime for me uh, with my kids once they got their driver's license didn't look like they were home at 6 mm-hmm. o'clock and we all sat around the table. It really looked like me saying to them, which night this week do you want to go out to eat with right. me? Yeah. So I would, I would go out to eat with RP and or Hannah, and we would sit and we would have a conversation because it had to shift. And at that point, the control you had in preschool and the structure you had in preschool is completely gone. You you have no control of the calendar, and you need to be as flexible as you can as a parent mm-hmm. to make sure you're accommodating their schedule and their agenda. Yeah, I, I remember during the middle school, high school years, freeing up time in the afternoon at night, not knowing that I would be able to meet with them, but just being available. Right. right. I like when you're talking about driving them, just to jump back on that, I was meeting with a parent of a high schooler recently, and she was sharing with me about how she was always making sure she drove her daughter and their friends because when she was just sitting in the car, her daughter's friends would actually include her in the conversation from time to time, and it would give her an opportunity to kind of be another voice in their world because they'd be talking about something mm-hmm. that happened at school, talking about, you know, some guy or some situation, and her daughter wouldn't actually include her because her daughter <laughs> wanted right. to pretend she wasn't there. Right. But the friends kind of would, and it, it brought her in a little bit and let her have different kind of conversations. It's either and, that or you bug their room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, I mean, what, what options do you have? Yeah. So. And I remember being a high school student, um, you know, obviously the bedtime looks different with a high school student, but I remember my dad would wait up for me every single night when I came home. And most of the time we would just sit there for about 10 or 15 minutes before one of us would go to bed. But sometimes it would lead to these really great conversations. And he never knew what might happen if the stars would align that night for something worthwhile to come out in our conversation. But I just remember his consistency and being available. And that just really Mm -hmm. set a tone of he's going to be there when I get home. Something, you know, I could talk to him about whatever it is. Comes up. And here's the one thing I would say to every parent who's listening. I, I think that there's a tendency for you to 
measure these times to see if they're being effective or they're making an impact <laughs> to see what kind of outcome you're having because you had the bedtime four nights this week or <laughs> and, and to just measure it with a yardstick and go, well, I didn't quite get them to understand this or I didn't see the response. You're not going to have a five-year-old or a seven-year-old, you know, say to you, hey, I just want you to know our meal times are amazing and they're just changing my life and my heart. I mean, that's just not going to be a conversation you have. You just have to decide you're going to keep doing this mm -hmm. because you're trusting that there's this collective momentum that's happening over time from week to week to week. And um, I, I have this one story of this one dad years and years and years ago who told me that he decided he was going to take his daughter to breakfast to start off their morning time. And uh, she was in middle school. And you know how the middle school frame of mind is. And so he went for months, you know, with her at breakfast. And, um, and he just said, you know, after about three or four months, you know, we didn't have a really that incredibly deep conversations. We didn't have these ex ex extreme moments of, of revelation. And he said, I finally decided we're just kind of wasting our time. She really didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. And so I just suggested, hey, you know, do you not want to do the morning time, breakfast time? We don't have to do it if you want to. And she said, Dad, that's my favorite part of the week. Wow. And he just had no idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think somewhere along the way, we have to be the adult and we yeah. have to decide we're going to be faithful at doing something regardless of whether we see the results or not. And I think in some ways doing this is almost like a preventative thing. You don't even necessarily know what you're getting out of it. You just know what it, or what it's preventing, but you just know you're going to keep doing this it's in good. hopes that it eventually reaps good things and not necessarily to <laughs> yeah. a bad direction. It adds up over time. Right. So really the question I think that we want to ask everybody who's listening is what is the rhythm of your home? What are the times that you have? You might not be going to take advantage of all of the times and make sure every day has, you know, four or five intentional moments. Right. Um, they'll be overkill. But what is the rhythm to your week? Um, where are you going to be consistent? Right. And I think it's important for every family to just kind of sit down together and come up with a plan, you know, with sports practices and after school stuff in summer, there's just a lack of structure sometimes, um, just to make a plan that three nights a week we'll have dinner together. That's and good. that's a great goal. And to not beat yourself up if you're not doing it every single night of the week, but to just decide on what are we going to intentionally build into our day and then, you know, give yourself some grace when it doesn't happen every time, but just know that you've got that in the back of your mind, a plan for how you're going to make the day work. For and you. I don't want you to forget what Sarah just said, give yourself grace if it doesn't happen happen every time. Because there is a sense at which we start feeling really guilty as parents really fast. And our go-to is just to give up and to stop. Mm -hmm. And and I would just encourage you, you know, don't, don't do that. Just keep pushing at it. You know, don't let the fact that you don't feel like you're doing it as much as you want to cause you to stop doing it, because this is something that's very valuable and you need to keep fighting for. So we're, we're really grateful that as a parent, you've listened to Parent Q Live today. And um, we just wanted an opportunity to say to you that your time with your kids is important. And I wish you could go back 2,000 years to Moses. And if you could hear him with the urgency of his voice, uh, talking about how to make sure you hand a faith off to your kids before they walk away. And I think what Moses was implying was that this is something that can be done strategically over time. And, and the thing that I don't think he refers to that I think he knew intuitively was that this is going to change your relationship. This is going to change your relationship with your kids as much as it's going to change your, their relationship with God, because this is going to affect how you do life with them and how they see you in their life. And that's really what this is about, Make, making sure that we fight for relationship with our kids by reordering what we do every week in creating rhythm. So thanks for listening, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time at Parent Q Live.